Well, if you really knew me, you would know that one of my heroes lived so, so long ago. His name is St. Patrick. And he's not a hero because we drink green beer on the 17th of March. He's a hero of mine because his motto, or what he was known for, was he was the man who raised the dead. He did many miracles in Ireland. We've, I've researched and read about these things. Over 33 stories of resurrections, including a horse who died and was resurrected for its charioteer. And the details of each of these stories is fascinating, but I just want to share one with you because Patrick came to a small village at one point, and as he walked in, he felt like the Lord was whispering in his ear saying, this is going to be a great city, a great city that this whole island will look to for leadership. And so he speaks this word, and, and then a, a, a fountain, a spring, springs up there, and in the midst of this, the king of that area, the chief king of that area, Alphamus, hears that he's there. And he calls and summons Patrick. And he comes to the king and the king is so, he's just, all of the color is out of his face. And he is desperately grieving for his son, the prince, has died. His, the young boy has died. And in the midst of, of grieving his son and putting him in the tomb, his daughter was out bathing in the river and she drowned and she, her body has just been discovered and they've just put her in the tomb as well. Losing two children in a very short period of time. He's desperate. He says, Patrick, you are the one. Your reputation is that you raise the dead. Will you please raise my children from the dead and I will follow this Jesus, this God of yours. Of course, Patrick, who's delighted, says, absolutely, take me to the tomb. Where have you laid these two children? And so he goes to the tomb and he prays. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit living and working through him, he says, come forth. And they hear a rustling in the tomb and both these children come back to life. As you can imagine, the entire city was awestruck and they all decided to follow Jesus. And that young lady, the princess, her name is Dublina, and the city now bears her name, Dublin. It is a great city that if you go to Ireland, a quarter of the people in Ireland live in Dublin. It is the capital. And yet it is named for an event that happened so, so long ago. The power of God being put on display for the people that didn't know God at all. And As I think about Raising the Dead, the first thing I think of is one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. Because we learned something from Miracle Max. We learned that when you bring someone back or you need a miracle, you need to understand how dead the person really is. Right? This is why Miracle Max says, Woohoo! Look who knows so much. Turns out your friend is only mostly dead. Mostly dead means partly alive. All dead, well, all dead. There's only one thing to do with all dead. Look through their clothes for loose change. So while Wesley was only mostly dead, St. Patrick was raising dead people, all dead people, 
from the grave. In fact, he said oftentimes the Lord would show him years in advance before it would happen. And where did he get the idea? He got it from Jesus. Now, Jesus, he raised a man named Lazarus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, raising Lazarus. It's in John chapter 11. We're going to see that Jesus makes sure that his friend Lazarus is all dead. Not partly dead, but all dead. Then he makes the journey to Bethany to bring him back to life. And while raising an all-dead Lazarus is absolutely the most powerful sign that Jesus shows the people, it is nothing compared to himself. Just really days after that, dying and rising again on what we call Easter. So this just proves that Jesus is the life giver. He's the one who's the king over life and death, both now and forever. So as we think about Lazarus, I I was reading and and I saw this quote from Stephen Furtick. It says this, God's job is outcomes. Our job is process. The longer you think you can control outcomes in your life, the more frustration you're going to experience in this journey of faith. He goes on to say this, Many of us were taught starting out that the faith was a way of controlling outcomes. If you pray this and you do that, then you can expect this. But everyone has a Lazarus, and he calls it the Lazarus factor. The thing in your life that has made the formula fall apart. It's the very thing that caused you to question the nature of faith. I think all of us have had Lazarus moments where we've said, God, if you really love me, you, if you really saw me, if, if you were really powerful like the, and strong like they say you are, then you would have healed my mother, saved my friend, come through with that money, whatever, fill the blanket, fill in the blank. And I think we oftentimes mistake our circumstances and how things are going with God's love. We think he must not love us if our circumstances are really tough. If God loved me, he he would have already come through. He, He would have saved that person. He would have saved me the pain. He would have healed me. He would have intervened already. There's so many painful things in this life that don't make sense in the moment. And I really believe that the purpose in our pain sometimes We won't see it until we're on the other side. Sometimes it becomes clear. But it was C.S. Lewis who said, Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. For some of us, our Lazarus loss, the thing that happened to us that made the formula fall apart, if you will, maybe pushed you far from believing that God is real. If God was real, then he would have, perhaps you've said. It's my prayer this morning that you would see Jesus for who he really is and who he reveals himself in John 11. And you choose to open the tomb of your heart, if you will, and allow him to bring life where there's death, where there's despair, where there's desperation, and that you dare to trust him. Okay. It's Easter. I always do something weird on Easter because it's just a thing. 
I don't know, maybe it's pastors getting bored and wanting to do something different every time. So this year, I'm not going to read the scripture verse by verse. I'm going to show you a video of verse for verse from the Good News translation. So Good News, you're still getting the Bible, but you're getting it in a lot more interesting way because they're acting it out. So you're going to see little clips, and then we'll talk about it as we go. Deal? Pull out your popcorn. Let's take a look at John 11. Roll film. A man named Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, became sick. Bethany was the town where Mary and her sister Martha lived. This Mary was the one who poured the perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. The sisters sent Jesus the message. Lord, your dear friend is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the final result of this sickness will not be the death of Lazarus. This has happened in order to bring glory to God, and it will be the means by which the Son of God will receive glory. Okay, so we've got... Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Don't get them confused with Peter, Paul, and Mary. Totally different generation. These are the close family friends of Jesus. This is where they live in Bethany, only two miles from Jerusalem. It's kind of like Jesus' headquarters when he goes to the Southland, if you will. He usually is hanging out in Capernaum in the north. And yet when he comes for the feasts and the festivals that we talked about, um, was that two weeks ago? He, this is kind of his home base, and Martha is an amazing cook. So why not stay where the cooking is really good? He's no dummy. So he, they send him a message to Jesus, and he's one or two days' journey away. And they say, uh, John 11, verse 3, So the, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Like, you're going to know exactly who we're talking about. Think about this as like a nickname. Like, I just was thinking about Thurston Howell from Gilligan's Island. And she, he's, it's Eunice Lovey Howell. Lovey, would you come over here, please? Right? And there's this nickname that he's got for her. And I can imagine this is kind of like a nickname that he has for Lazarus. This is how close they are. These are close, close family friends. And then Jesus says, this situation is going to end in a revelation of who I am. And God knows the outcome. And yet, in this case, the followers are going to have to learn to trust him in the process. So let's pick it up with the next video, verse 5. Ready, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he received the news that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Teacher, just a short time ago, the people there wanted to stone you. And are you planning to go back? A day has 12 hours, doesn't it? So those who walk in broad daylight do not stumble, for they see the light of this world. But if they walk during the night, they stumble because they have no light. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him up. If he is asleep, Lord, he will get well. Jesus meant that Lazarus had died, but they thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, 
But for your sake, I am glad that I was not with him. So that you will believe. Let us go to him. Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us all go along with the teacher, so that we may die with him. So, Jesus loved them, so he stayed where he was for two more days. This is like when somebody says, I'm with you there in spirit, right? You're like, no, I needed help moving. I need you to help move boxes. I don't need you to be here in spirit. And yet, Jesus is waiting. Verse 5 and verse 6, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. This is how so many of us feel when we feel like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. When we're really desperate and we're saying, God, we really need you to come through right now. And yet it doesn't feel like God is coming through. It feels like he's late. And it's weird to say, but Jesus didn't come right away because he loved them. Because there was a part of his character that they wouldn't see if he would have come right away. Because Jesus could have just prayed right where he was and Lazarus could have been healed. We've seen him do that before in the scriptures. And Jesus was probably hearing about Lazarus being sick about the time that he died. That's how the math works out. So it's not like, oh, Jesus, you messed this up. You could have. Well, no, actually, not so much. So now they are needing to go to Judea. This is the Southland, if you will. And mind you, they've tried to arrest and stone Jesus twice in the, in the past six months before this at the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Dedication in the winter. So it's not a real safe place. That's why the disciples are like, are you sure you want to put your life on line for whatever the situation is. And Jesus is sounding a little bit like he's speaking like Yoda or he's speaking in riddles. When he talks about, he says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees by the world's light. If It is when he walks by night that he stumbles for he has no light. And if you're like me, you're like, what does that mean? Well, let me just parse it out for you really quick. He's saying there's still work to do. There's only so much time and there's work to do before the sun goes down because back then you couldn't turn the light bulbs on. Once it was dark, you couldn't do any more work. What is Jesus saying? There's still suffering to alleviate. There's still healing to bring to this place. This is one of the works associated with bringing heaven to earth and Jesus revealing who the father is and destroying the works of the devil. And then Jesus says, uh, he's fallen asleep. Um, Verse 11, you can take a look at it right there. Uh, And he went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And they're like, "Uh, uh, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And they totally get, it's a euphemism for dying. Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to tell you plainly. No, Lazarus is dead. This is what's going on, guys. Let me just make it, let me just bring it down to the bottom shelf. The good news, Jesus always brings it down to the bottom shelf for us so that we can understand. He desires for us to get it. So here's the situation. Jesus is saying, yep, we're going. And I'm doing this for your sake. Whose sake? 
Well, he's doing it for the sake of the disciples so they would see God's full power, but I believe he's doing it for our sake too as I look at his prayer at the tomb of Lazarus. And even though, even Jesus knows that even if he does a miracle, it doesn't mean everybody automatically believes. Take a look at John 12. The next chapter, Jesus says this. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs, including raising Lazarus from the dead, in their presence, they, would, they still would not believe in him. I'm here to tell you, I have watched people experience supernatural things and they still go, ah, yeah, but I'm still not gonna, I'm not gonna surrender to Jesus. I wanna, I wanna live life my way. No amount of supernatural things will change someone's mind unless they want to. So for those of you who don't trust Jesus yet, the truth is, even if we did some miraculous sign, it doesn't mean that your heart is not closed up like a tomb. So let's pick up then the rest of our, the next part of our passage, verse 17. Ready, go. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been buried four days before. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Judeans had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask him for. Your brother will rise to life. I know that he will rise to life on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary privately. So Jesus gets there. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. It's interesting. The Bible really doesn't give us as many details as I would love it to, to give. But when it gives a detail, it always means something, right? Four days. Why is four days important? Because in that culture, they believed that you're, the, the spirit of that person would hang around for three days. And then on the third day, whoop. It would leave, and after that, they were all dead. They were only mostly dead for the first three days. So much so that oftentimes, people would go to the tomb to make sure that they were really dead. That sound a little bit like the resurrection story to you? So, Jesus waits until it's like, oh yeah, no, he's all dead for sure. And God will often wait past the point of our expectation as we're seeking him, asking him for things until there's no other way that things can happen except for him coming through. Jesus doesn't even come into town. I don't know if you noticed that in the video. He doesn't even go to the Airbnb that is Martha's cooking establishment. He stops at the gate on the edge of the village 
And I think this is just like Jesus. He won't come any closer than you're willing to let him in. And he'll stand where you need him to stand until you invite him to come closer. He's a gentleman in that way. You choose to keep God at a distance, he's going to stay there. He's going to respect you. But Martha comes out and she brings her disappointment into the presence of God. In verse 21, it says this. Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I love the fact that Martha's like, I'm going to be honest. Like, if you were here, I'm kind of blaming you. Like, if you would have been here, it would have been a lot better. Sometimes we pray that way to, to God, and he's totally okay with it. He loves the honest prayers, the gut-level prayers. And Jesus asks if she believes. Basically, she says, I believe who you, you say you, who you, let's try that again. I believe you are who you say you are, but I don't know what you're going to do. So Jesus makes this I am statement, and John's book is actually designed around these I am statements. And in verse 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus is pushing, pulling, coaxing, moving Martha along. And I don't believe that Martha has an idea of what's going to happen. I think she's going to be absolutely shocked just like everyone else. In the meantime, Martha is going to go get her sister Mary. And Jesus is just so respectful. He handles each person individually right where they're at. And so let's take a look at verse 28. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved.
Where have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, he gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? So enter Mary, who runs and falls at his feet, not in faith, but I believe in frustration more than anything else. She's grieving and she says the same thing that her sister says. If you would have been here. You notice Jesus isn't like, ah, ah, ah. Nope, nope, nope. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. What does Jesus do? He enters into her pain and disappointment right alongside her. We have the shortest verse in the Bible, by the way, if you want to start Bible memorization. Verse 35, Jesus wept. I think you got it down now. Now you can say, go home and around your Easter table say, I memorized a verse today. Jesus wept. Jesus knows, I think, that what he's going to do, and yet he's entering into her pain. And in the same way, Jesus enters into our pain with us. He's with us in the pain of disappointment. This word deeply moved, it's used a couple different times in this, in this passage. And it's the sound that a horse makes when it snorts in war or a race. I don't even know that I can imagine that. But horses are big animals and they make big sounds. And it's this Anger and fury and frustration that Jesus has, not with those who are saying, if you would have been here, but at death. Because of what death is doing to the people that he loves. And some of you feel that same way. I share your pain. We, as I looked through my calendar this last week, we lost so many friends and loved ones last year. So many people that we said goodbye to. And we said goodbye to some more this week. That makes me angry. That's the right response. Because we weren't created for death. We were created for life. And Jesus is snorting angry at the fact that his friends are in such a tender and grieving place. John um, 30, verse 33 says this. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and touched. And he says, take me to the place where you buried him. And for us today, I think God is asking you, take me to the place where you buried your belief in God. Take me to the place where that Lazarus loss has put you in a place where you can't believe that I'm actually good. Take me to the place of rejection and betrayal. Take me to the place where you're exhausted and embarrassed. Take me to the place of your failures and your longings and your pain. Take me to the place where you started hiding instead of inviting others in and showing them who you really are. Take me to the place where you stopped being optimistic and it seemed like everything was, the glass was half full. Take me to the place where you started wearing a facade Instead of living the real you because people didn't, couldn't handle the real you. Jesus says the places that everyone else runs from, that's where he wants to run to. Take me to that place. That's the kind of Jesus and person that Jesus is. 
So before Jesus demonstrates his authority over death, and he does powerfully here, he demonstrates his empathy with us. And he weeps. There's even a psalm that talks about God capturing our tears in a bottle. It's how much he cares for us and how much he feels and walks with us. So Jesus wants us to know that while we are waiting, we're waiting for breakthrough, we're praying, we're hoping he's going to show up. And maybe the picture that I had earlier of standing over the counter like this, weighed down, desperate, is this waiting for a breakthrough, for a resurrection of things that seem dead in your life. Well, let's get Lazarus out of the tomb, shall we? Last part. Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. That would be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? They took the stone away. Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listened to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here, so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He came out. His hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes with a cloth round his face. Untie him and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, and they believed in him. <laughs> I love the codfish mouth, right? Mary Poppins would have like, close your mouth, Michael. You look like a codfish. They are just absolutely stunned. They hadn't seen this ever before. I would be stunned. So at the tomb, a stone is across the entrance. Nothing goes in, nothing goes out. And I think of this like our hearts. I think many of us are closed up like a tomb. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. 
I've got to protect myself. I don't know if it's safe. I've got to keep it all inside. Now, Jesus could have moved the stone. I mean, if he's going to raise the dead, he'd be like, it's like, like the force powers. I'm going to move right over. But he asked them to partner with him. Are you willing? And until you open your heart to the possibility that God can do it, your heart is like a closed tomb. Keeping dead things in and keeping Jesus out. And Martha, when asked to remove the stone, verse 39, says this. Take a look. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. I think the King James is, surely he stinketh. But I think you get the point, right? I don't want anybody to see or know this. I don't want, I don't want anyone to know what's going on in my heart. She's embarrassed. But Jesus is the one who commands dead things to come back to life. And you don't always get Lazarus back, but I promise that Jesus always brings life from death. So Jesus does this so that all the people will believe that Jesus is God over life and death and that the Father sent him. Verse 45 says this, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Faith is not just like believing that I believe that there's a piano right there. It's not believing, it's actually putting your trust in something. So what were they putting their trust in? And do you believe that God is actually still God? Is he the same God that he is today as he was yesterday? I'm going to show a one-minute testimony video from a friend of mine uh, my, my friend's name is Bill, and this is his aunt, Evelyn. Take a look. Or we won't. That one might not have gotten pulled over. Let me tell you the story. I got typhoid, paratyphoid. It was terribly, terribly sick. Mother and daddy threw me in the car, and they rushed to Beirut because there's an American hospital there. But by the time I got to Beirut, uh, I was gone. And so seven doctors, American doctors, all examined me because there weren't many American kids in there. And uh, they said, well, we're very sorry. And they put me on a gurney and put a sheet over me to take me to the morgue. And Daddy said, don't, don't take her tonight. You can have her in the morning, but we're going to pray all night and we'll see what God will do. If he can use her, uh, he'll bring her back. So I, I don't remember that part, but I do remember waking up at six o'clock in the morning and throwing that sheet off, sitting up straight and saying, yeah, I want some ice cream. And they almost fainted. And God surprised them big time. I was beautifully healed and I have been the most healthy. And at 93, there aren't many people that are more healthy than I. But God has, it's all the Lord. It's nothing I've done. 
and not my heritage, but God has been so faithful, not just during that time. Pretty fun. My friend Bill, when I was talking to him about this, he says, yeah, our whole family follows Jesus because we've talked to Aunt Evelyn and she talked about coming back. That's the same Jesus that has the power to do those things today. Another one of my friends here in Chico prayed for and witnessed a teenager who had drowned in the creek in the park and she was dead and she came back to life right in front of his eyes. And I asked him, what did this do for your faith? Did this strengthen your faith? He told me, well, somebody asked me the day after, are you freaked out? He said, no, I'm freaked in. I wish everybody had an experience like mine. It is true that when you experience the power of God, you have a choice to make. It doesn't always mean that you trust Jesus with your life and you surrender. In fact, Jesus says, I know even if you see a miraculous sign, it doesn't mean you're going to believe. But there are some of us who have seen these sorts of things and we are ruined for good. I can't go back from where I am now. What I've seen, I've seen too many things that God has done that have zero explanation. Four days in the tomb and rising. Past the point of my expectation and even the past my faith. So what is it that these people believed? Let me just share with you briefly as we close. What is it that we believe? Well, we got to think about the world first. What does the news look like? What are the things that we know about the world? Yet You have to admit, our world's pretty messed up. None of us would say racism, hun- hunger, a pandemic, terrorism, and war, pollution, and even slavery are good things. We would all love to change the world and make it a better place. I don't know about you, but I long for a better world. I believe that my longing points to the reality that either a better world did exist or one day it will exist. And in the Christian worldview, we believe that a better world did exist at the beginning of time. We believe that God designed the world and gave it a purpose. It didn't just come into being in and of itself, but Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit spoke it into being. And we believe that he designed us to take care of the world and the world take care of us. He designed us to take care of each other. And and God takes care of us and we bless him in return. The world was then designed for good. It was beautiful and the relationships between humans and God at the beginning were amazing. And clearly now the world isn't living according to its design. And we des- we, when we decided to run the show, we decided to choose our, chase our own needs. And it's pictured in Adam and Eve who take the fruit and make themselves like God. They disobey God. And they say, no, I know better than God. And at that point, sin and evil enter the world. And frankly, we've been doing the same thing as Adam and Eve as well. 
More than care for people or the world, we start damaging the world. We start damaging our relationship with each other and ultimately ignoring God's original design. We begin damaging our relationship with God and turn our backs on him. So the world was damaged by evil. God's good world that was designed for good is damaged by evil. And we've all done things wrong ourselves. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is what the Bible calls sin, and it separates us from God. It takes us out of relationship. But the good news is that God loves us too much to leave us that way. And one of the most well-known scriptures in the entire Bible, John 3, 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, trusts him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God sends Jesus to earth so that we would have a way to repair our broken relationship with him. And Jesus comes and pays the penalty for our sin, that separation with his blood, with his own life. And then God started teaching us through Jesus a better way to live. Jesus teaches us that all the damage that we've done actually died with him. When Jesus comes back to life three days later, what we're celebrating this morning in Easter, he unleashed power so that new life is possible with God. Possible throughout the world and our relationships and within us. He's making all things new. So through Jesus, everything is being restored for better. But what's your response to this? Because our world is still pretty messed up. And even though many of us are following Jesus, there's a lot of work to be done. And yet Jesus, I believe, has started a revolution and he's asking us to join him on his mission to heal a damaged world. That we have purpose. If we follow Jesus, we have purpose to heal and to, to help others to come into a place of relationship with God. He calls us to expose corruption, bring peace and justice throughout the world. We've always seen every single social justice movement. You find Christians at the center. And so we are on a mission sent to heal. And it's a delight for our family to continue to pray for others and to see healing and wholeness happen. And this power only comes through surrendering our life to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You might think, well, maybe I, if I did enough good things, then, then I could just earn my way to heaven. Nope, it doesn't work that way. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus is looking for us to surrender to him, to give him the wheel and let him drive. That song, Jesus Take the Wheel, good theology. Jesus Take the Wheel, take it from my hands. So many of us think, I'll just add Jesus like a, like a membership and then I'll, then I'll be in the club and then I'll, I'll like the, my, my get into to heaven free card. It doesn't work like that. You see, God is looking for us to surrender our lives to him. And the only way is through Jesus. So what would this look like for you to surrender? Because if you're in a place where you're done trying to fix this broken world on your own, or maybe you're not even trying to fix the world, you're just trying to work on fixing yourself and that hasn't worked, 
you need a savior. You need someone who knows you better than you know yourself. You need someone who will sit with you in your disappointment and your pain. One who loves you so much that perhaps he didn't come through the way that you thought. Why? Because God is not a vending machine. He's not a servant to be ordered around by our prayers. We don't do hunger strikes that we call fasting to make him do what we want. We say, you're God and I'm not. And I want what you want because you designed this world for good and I know that you know how to bring wholeness. So if you're in a place this morning where you say, you know what, I am done trying to fix these things. I'm done trying to do it on my own. I see what you're saying. I've been checking out Jesus for a while and I'm ready to follow him. I wanna lead you in a prayer. I'm gonna have, Denise, go ahead and put that on the screen. This is a prayer of surrender. They are not magic words, but I want you to look at these words first and decide, is this a prayer that you wanna pray this morning? And maybe it's your very first time surrendering, surrendering to Jesus. And if you surrender to Jesus, and you invite him to come and dwell inside you. He will change you from now and forever. So take a look at this for a second. And then I'm gonna pray it. And if you'd like to pray with me, you can. No one's gonna ask you to pray out loud. You can pray very quiet. I believe this is the most important decision you will make in your entire life. So if you're ready to pray this prayer, you can pray with me, Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Confess that I am a sinner and I ask that you forgive my sins. Heal me completely. I invite you into my heart and life and I surrender control to you. Send the Holy Spirit to come inside me. Lead me, guide me, change me, and help me to bring healing. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, we would love to give you a gift to help you grow in this new relationship that you started with Jesus. Because this is changed from the inside out. And it's important to do this relationship in community. This is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. It's a family sport. And some of you prayed this prayer again, and it was almost like renewing your vows. That was the vision I had. This, I was driving in this morning. It was like still dark. And I'm like, Lord, what does this look like for some people? I saw a vision of some of you are renewing your vows with Jesus this morning. It doesn't mean that you stopped being married. You didn't get divorced. You're just going, yeah, Jesus, me and you, let's go. This is great. I haven't been, we haven't been that, that close. We haven't been walking close for a while. And, and I'm, I, this was just an opportunity for you to say yes, Jesus, again. You'd stand. We've got our prayer teams that are gonna come forward. And if you wanna pray with somebody about this, I encourage you, whether you kind of renewed your vows with Jesus this morning or for the very first time you said, yes, Jesus, I would love for you to tell someone today. You can tell one of the people on our prayer team, tell a family member, somebody that you know has a close relationship with Jesus. So let me pray for us and then you'll be dismissed. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the power to set lives and hearts free. Thank you for those who chose in to following you, Jesus, today. I pray that you would encourage, bless, help, 
deliver and save us. Thank you for what you're doing. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring our dead dreams back to life. Bring our dead relationships back into health. Bring our, the dead parts of our soul back to life, Jesus, as we celebrate your resurrection today. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you today. Have a great Easter. And we'll see you next week, 10 a.m., right here.